Hey, we're in a series of spiritual apps. Uh, we are moving through this series talking about spiritual apps, uh, which are spiritual disciplines. And as we've been talking about that, uh, we've made the important distinction saying that spiritual disciplines are not some attempt to try and prove ourselves to God or to try and perform for God. Uh, these are disciplines, these are apps that uh, are very practical ways that uh, you can uh, then use these apps to take you to Jesus. That's the whole point of them, is to help you grow in your relationship, your friendship uh, with, with God. And, uh, and that's the whole purpose of them, uh, to take you to Jesus. And uh, Brian Candela, a couple weeks ago, talked to us about, uh, about listening. And last week we learned about play, that it's, it really is okay to enjoy life and to have fun. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that when we enjoy life, we get to take joy with us to work. Are those things that he's assigned to us, as the writer of Ecclesiastes puts, under the sun. So I, I hope that you are having times in your life where you're building in times of, uh, where you get to enjoy the things that God's wired you to enjoy. Um, uh, last year, Trina and I had the privilege uh, of going uh, to the Middle East and working with our international workers. And uh, we've done that last couple, several years, and uh, we really uh, look forward to that time. Uh, we were uh, in, in Egypt last year and uh, made the trip over there and landed. And by the way, when we travel, because, uh, because of our deep love for coffee, because we're from the Northwest, uh, you know, we recognize that we go different places in the world. It may not be good coffee, and the Middle East happens to be one of those places where there's not, you know, probably coffee house or Starbucks or whatever your favorite coffee is. But you know what? We take instant coffee with us, um, and that gets us through. We uh, buy, like, these little Starbucks via, I don't know if you ever used those before, but uh, they, they, they fill in the gap for us. And last year, we're in Egypt. Um, jet lag is kicking in for me, so I'm up at a time. I, I'm not normally up. It's four in the morning, and Trina's still sleeping, and so I'm going to have a cup of coffee. I grab a coffee mug. I get some hot water, and I, I, I turn the faucet on and get hot water going, and so it's nice and hot, uh, and then I put the, the Starbucks Via in the cup, and I'm sitting now in, the, in the, the room we're in, and I'm reading and drinking my cup of coffee and uh, as Trina is, is, is sleeping, and, uh, and then I finish that cup of coffee, and I want another cup of coffee. So, and fortunately, we, we got lots of Starbucks via, so why not? So I get the hot water going again uh, out, out of the, uh, the faucet, and I get the, the instant coffee in there, and I'm having a second cup of coffee. And then uh, a little while longer, Trina starts to wake up, and as she's waking up, I say to her, just because I'm a wonderful husband, I say to her, can I get you a cup of coffee? And she looks at me and says, sure, yeah, I'll get you a cup. I like a cup of coffee. And, and she said, but where'd you get the hot water? And I said, well, you know, out of the faucet in the, in, in the bathroom. And uh, as soon as I said the words, I knew I was in trouble. Because uh, you know when you're there in the Middle East and other places around the world that you should never drink the water out of the tap. And I had not had one cup of coffee. I had two cups of coffee that was taking water straight from the tap. And by the way, Egypt is notorious for bad water. And so as I'm sitting there having finished two cups of coffee, I know that the, the rest of the day, somewhere in the day, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> All right? And about four hours in, and by the way, we have a, a calendar that's pretty full. We have meetings. We're meeting with couples. We're meeting with teams. And, uh, and I've got this thing planned out, and I'm just thinking, well, how am I going to make it? Four hours into it, I feel like I've had barbed wire for breakfast because my stomach is just in pain and everything I ate for breakfast is, is just gonna sh it, sh it is it's shooting right through me okay yes we were talking about diarrhea in church okay 
We're talking about the runs, Montezuma's revenge, Pharaoh's revenge, whatever you want to call it. I'm watching Robin to see how she's going to translate this. How do you say this in ASL? Uh, you did it? All right, good. You learn this in church. Tell your friends. Invite them. I, I, I'm in trouble. And of course, you know, you know you, we can take pills and try and fix things and all that. Uh, but you know, in some cases, in some parts of the world, this is a very serious issue. Because what's happening is that you're, you're eating food, you're ingesting food, and we eat, uh, and knowing that when our stomachs are in good health, our body gets to absorb uh, nutrition. Um, but when our, when our stomachs are in bad shape, our bodies don't absorb nutrition, and uh, you, can, you can die from dysentery. You can, it can be very serious. And, uh, and so, um, <laughs> I still am kind of laughing I'm talking about diarrhea in church. Uh, but here, here's the deal is that when you're, when you're having, you're putting food and it's going right through you, it's, it's dangerous. Now, I want to suggest to you that just like physically um, you can suffer from the runs, uh, that spiritually you too can suffer from the spiritual runs. And here's what I mean by this. <laughs> Stick with me, okay? <laughs> you can suffer. Look, we have so many, so many resources at our fingertips. We have Bibles in multiple translations. We've got Bible studies. We've got small groups. We've got community groups. You can serve. You can listen to podcasts. You can, I mean, there's so many ways that you can feed your soul. But the reality is, I think, as you look at the landscape of the, uh, the American church, and you look at people who say that they are believers, that we, I think you can safely say that many people are suffering from the spiritual runs. We're putting all kinds of good things into us, but it's not staying in there long enough to the point where we're feeding our souls. It's just shooting out of us. In fact, many people, their complaint against Christians is that you don't look any different than anyone else. And we should look different. We should be looking through life. We should be being transformed into the image of Christ. There's a destination to discipleship, as we've said in previous months. John Ortberg, in his book called The Life You've Always Wanted, which is a great book on the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual apps, tells a story about a guy named Hank, a guy who married, has kids, has grown up in the church, has, has been a Christian most of his life. Orberg writes about a guy named Hank, who I think describes the situation that I'm speaking about today. Let me just read a little bit from Orberg's book to give you a sense for, for the, the, what, what's going on here. Orberg writes, Hank, as we'll call him, was a cranky guy. He did not smile easily, and when he did, the smile often had a cruel edge to it, coming at someone's expense. He had a knack for discovering islands of bad news and oceans of happiness. He would always find a cloud where others saw a silver lining. Hank rarely affirmed anyone. He operated on the assumption that if you compliment someone, it might lead to a swelled head. So he worked to make sure everyone stayed humble. His was a ministry of cranial downsizing. His native tongue was complaint. He carried judgment and disapproval the way a prisoner carries a ball and chain. Although he went to church his whole life, he was never unshackled. An elder in the church asked him one day, Hank, are you happy? Hank paused to reflect and then replied without smiling, Yeah. 
Well, tell your face, the elder said. (laughs) But so far as anybody knows, Hank's face never did find out about it. Occasionally, Hank's joylessness produced unintended joy for others. There was a period of time when his primary complaints centered around the music in the church. It's too loud, Hank protested, to the staff, to the elders, to the ushers, and eventually to innocent visitors to the church. We finally had to take Hank aside and explain that complaining to complete strangers was not appropriate. Sometimes Hank's joylessness ended in comedy, but more often it produced sadness. His children did not know him. His son had a wonderful story about how he met his wife at a dance, but he never told his father because Hank did not approve of dancing. Hank could not effectively love his wife or his children or people outside his family. He was easily irritated, had little use for the poor, a casual contempt for those whose accents or skin pigment differed from his own. And whatever capacity he once might have had for joy or wonder or gratitude, atrophied. He critiqued and judged and complained, and his soul got a little smaller each year. What's the greatest tragedy of this story? Is it that Hank wasn't changing? Is it that Hank didn't realize that he needed to change? Or is it this, that we in the kingdom get so used to Hank Hank acting this way that we never expected him to change? I want to say to you, that it's very easy for us to surround ourselves with spiritual delights and take them in and feed ourselves with all kinds of good stuff and take them in as information and not allow them to nourish us, to transform us into into who Christ has intended for us to be. And maybe you're here today and you've been doing all the right things but you realize, you know, I'm still dealing with this, I'm still dealing with that and that's not to demean you or to guilt you. But how can we feed our souls to the extent that things don't just run right through us without transforming or changing us? How do we cure ourselves if we're suffering from the spiritual runs? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today in this spiritual app that I'm calling Spiritual Reading. Spiritual Reading. It's sometimes referred to as Sacred Reading. I want to talk to you about this app, and then I want us, uh, towards the end of the service, we're going to practice this together because I think this is intensely practical. This is a way, one small way, that you can feed on the Word of God in, in perhaps a different way than you're used to doing and allow your soul to digest what God might be speaking to you. One Christian leader speaking of this discipline, or as we're calling it, an app, put the value of, of sacred reading or spiritual reading this way. He said, the diligent reading of sacred scripture accompanied by prayer brings about that intimate dialogue in which the person reading hears God who is speaking and in praying, responds to him with trusting openness of heart. If this is effectively promoted, this practice will bring to the church, I am convinced of it, a new spiritual springtime. Springtime for the soul. This app, this app can take you to Jesus and allow that very thing to happen. 
So I want to I want to dive in here and talk to you about spiritual reading, and, uh, and we're going to put this this diagram up here, this wheel up here, because here's the way we're working through it. it it's these four rhythms, these four movements: read, reflect, respond, rest. They all start with the letter R, not to try and be cute, but to help you remember this. Uh, read, reflect, rest, respond. And we're going to move through all four of these, these points. And then we're, we're going to practice this together. And I believe that your, your soul will be nourished today as you, as you do this. And as we read, you know, many of us read. And when we might read a novel, we read it one way. When we read scripture, we need to understand that, yes, we're, we're reading and taking in through our eyes and into our, uh, our, our mind. But we want to read it in a way that it's, it's spiritual. Not to over-spiritualize, but to allow it to go to feed our soul. So we would read a text, and we're reading the Word of God, which, by the way, there are multiple dimensions to the Word of God. The Word of God, you know, we have a Bible, you got Scripture. uh, It's the printed Word on the page. You see a word there, you read it. It's the Word of God. Uh, Hebrews, it says that the Word of God is living and active. It's the, the printed Word is living and active. It has the ability, as we read it, to judge thoughts, uh, attitudes, tell us if we're in line or out of line. Um, that the, 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 the written Word. And then there's the meaning behind the Word. And this is the, the logic. The, the, the word here in the original language is logos. So we, you may, some of you have heard that before. The reasoning, the meaning, the logic behind the Word. And then there's the voice, the word of God, the the voice. When Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and Satan is saying, turn these stones into bread because you're hungry, you need to eat, Jesus responds by saying, man shall not live by bread bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word proceeding from the mouth of God is the voice. So when you look at your Bible, what you need to remember is, yes, it's a printed word, that has meaning, but it originated with a voice. God spoke, and the intended meaning is on the page in front of you. So when we read spiritually, we can't separate the voice from the word. That's very important to understand. So we read a passage. Let's say, for instance, you read, uh, you're reading Matthew chapter six. As you read it, you're reading it with an ear Tuned. If you're using this app, you, you, you're, you're reading it with an ear tuned to the Spirit's voice. What you're, what you're trying to remember here is, okay, you're looking for a word or a phrase that just sort of sticks out to you. Now, as you're reading along or you're hearing something read, you're listening for that, that, that one word or that one phrase that, that sticks out to you, and you, and you notice it. And, uh, and then you, you hang on to it when you, when you finish the chapter. You might read that text several times. It could be four verses. It could be a chapter. But you, you're reading it to capture that one word or that one phrase when you're using the, this app. Then you move to reflect. And to reflect is to think. It's, uh, it's, it's meditation. Uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse, uh, verse 8 uh, the, the, the scriptures uh, say these words, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Meditation sometimes we know uh, kind of gets a bad rap because you know, there's other, these, these false religions that practice meditation and that's bad and so we, wanna, we don't want to be associated with anything bad so sometimes we throw the baby out of the bathwater and, uh, and avoid it altogether. 
Which, when you think about it, that's not a very wise thing to do. I mean, if someone you think, that thinks differently than you has breakfast in the morning, are you going to stop eating breakfast because they do? No, they're just twisting it or giving a, a different slant on meditation. Eastern meditation is the idea of emptying your mind, uh, emptying everything out. Hebrew meditation is filling your mind and then reflecting and chewing on it. So let's say you're reading through Matthew chapter 6 and you get to verse 33 where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and that sticks out to you as you're reading. When you get to reflect on the wheel here, you, you, you end up chewing on this, uh, uh, the, the word seek first. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? What, what, what might that mean? Can you throw that wheel up there, Rufus? Uh, you get to reflect there. It's like we're, we're chewing. What does it mean to seek first? And we're, we're thinking and we're, we're meditating. And then we move to the, four, the third spot here, Respond. Now what we do is we take that phrase or that word and now we move in response and this is praying. We're praying back to God who's spoken to us. So if it's Matthew 6, 33, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God, we, we turn those into prayers. Another acronym you could use for prayer is ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, which means making requests. You can turn seek first the kingdom of God into a prayer of worship. God, we worship you because you are the high king of heaven and you are the one that everyone should worship. And, and everyone should seek you first. You can turn it into a prayer of confession. God, forgive me for not seeking you first. I've been distracted and sought so many other things. You can make it a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you that when I seek you, I'll find you. Because that's what your word says. You can make it a prayer request, a supplication. God, help me to seek you first. Empower me by your spirit. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for your parents. You can pray for your friends at school, people at work. You can take one word, one phrase, and respond to God. Now, Teresa of Avila uh, on, on prayer says this. The important thing in prayer is not to think much, but to love much. Let me just leave that up there, because that might make you a little bit nervous. I need to understand what's being said here. The important thing in prayer is to not think much, but to love much. She's not saying don't think. Because that's what we're doing as we work this wheel. We're reflecting. But in response, now we're moving to love. God, thank you. You are the high king of heaven. Oh, Lord, I, I left the narrow way this week. Forgive me. Help me to seek you first. Not be worried about all the other things of life. You can move to love and say, thank you so much, Father. These are, these are prayers of love. Lord, empower me. Help my son. See, it, it, you move from this, this cerebral part of, of reading scripture. Now you're internalizing it. Now you're starting to love much as you respond simply by one word or one phrase. And you're turning into prayers. So we go, we go read we go reflect, we go respond, and then we get to rest. And rest, this is where we are being still before God. This is where we move from, from uh, reading and reflecting and responding in prayer to now, we, we, in, in stillness, now we begin to just enjoy the presence of God and know that as we've been praying that he's been listening 
And this is where our imagination and wonder of who God is. We, we move from information to now and, and, and beholding that to beholding God. Bruce Demarest, on this subject of, of contemplation or, or wonder, helps us understand what the difference is between meditation and contemplation. Meditation investigates. Meditation investigates. Contemplation wonders. I wonder. You know that story where Jesus is... Uh, He's gonna heal the leper. And before he even speaks the words, he puts his hand on the leper's shoulder. I wonder what, the, what the, the look on the leper's face must have been like. I wonder what the look on Jesus' face was like. You wonder, you imagine. And again, this can kind of make us nervous, so let me help you understand here that this is not some, uh, some bad thing to do. Francis Schaeffer says the Christian is one whose imagination should, be, should fly beyond the stars. Oswald Chambers uh, wrote this, the starvation of the imagination is one of the most fruitful sources of exhaustion and sapping in a Christian's life. If you have never used your imagination to put yourself before God, begin to do it now. Imagination is the greatest gift God has given us and it ought to be entirely devoted to him. God created your ability to imagine and be filled with wonder, and you can allow wonder and imagination to take you to Jesus. A.W. Tozer, speaking of these, these healthy habits of the heart, verbal prayer, Bible study, and Christian service are all good and should be engaged in by every Christian. But at the bottom of all these things, giving meaning to them will be the inward habit of beholding God. When the inward habit of gazing Godward becomes fixed within us, we shall be ushered onto a new level of spiritual life, more in keeping with the promises of God and the mood of the New Testament. Wonder is that part of that wheel. We, we go from read to reflect to respond to rest. We're just in that place of wonder. Seek first the kingdom of God. As I prayed that, I wonder what the face of God might have looked like. I just allow my, my imagination to focus on God. We move from gazing at the pages to thinking to praying to then beholding God in a place of wonder and rest.